Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface. As always, I'm joined by TalkSports Chief Correspondent Alex Crook. And talk sports, famous man behind the mic, co-commentary extraordinaire, the man who used to play for left back at uh, Benfica, Charlton, West Ham and Chelsea. It is the gorgeous Scott Minto. This is what's coming up on the show today. I make Arsenal favourites. I tip them up uh, at the start of the season. I probably didn't expect Manchester City to drop off quite as dramatically as they have, but I just think Arsenal will learn from last year. These players are very, very good players, but they're paid to stick the ball in the back of the net. And if Salah's not around and Liverpool are to win the title, Darwin Nunez needs to step up. It's strange that someone of his status and who's won what he has in the game feels the need to sort of sell himself on on social media. But listen, we broke the story a few weeks ago. There's a problem between him and Eric Ten Hag. Over the course of the last seven or eight months, it's just been constant noise about his position. It's incredibly hard to work in those circumstances. And actually, in a sense, I think he's probably been put out of his misery, really, and he'll get the opportunity to go somewhere else. But what do the Premier League clubs, those six clubs who were involved initially, what do they want to do now? Do they have the appetite to get involved again in in the Super League? Or will they realise, actually, that it's not what their supporters want? Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you very much for tuning in to Premier League All Access. Uh, Scott Minto is here. If you're watching on YouTube, yes, this is available on YouTube, uh, then you can see that everybody's wearing a festive jumper. Uh, Scott's gone for the cool festive jumper, um, which is just a little bit sedate. I've gone for the traditional sort of Fair Isle nonsense. And Crook has gone for... I've gone for the Roy Keane, um, which I think is... uh... Yeah, one of the best Christmas jumpers on the market. It says, uh, praising Santa for delivering presents. He's just doing his job. I think it's brilliant. I like the fact that you've been wearing that for about a week now, but you still had to look down and read it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been a busy week. I'll be wearing that well into the new year as well, though, Lynn. Yeah. Um, uh, did West Ham do their job in midweek, Scott? Oof, No. And um, and I've been at the Hammers fan zone quite a bit over the last couple of months. And there's a lot of people who are either not, you know, Moyes in or actually appreciate what he's doing, um, but still feel there's time for a change. And I think it was a big mistake for him with a team selection. Um, listen, I, I think his body of work, if you look at what he's done, something like sixth, seventh Europa League semi-final and um, the Europa Conference win has been, I think it's a special time for West Ham right now, but I think that was a big, big boo-boo for what the team that he picked and to get hammered up there. For me, United was the bigger game. Uh, sorry, Liverpool was the bigger game than United. 
And um, it's one thing to lose at Anfield with a full strength side. It's another thing to to not even kind of go for it. So oof, pressure on the Man U game, I have to say, and beyond. Yep, we'll talk about that in just a few moments as well. Chelsea, wow, what a performance against Newcastle United. Restricted the big spending Geordies, European conquerors of Paris Saint-Germain to just 22% possession. Come on. Um, and then uh, Nick to goal right at the very end. We'll nick the ball off Kieran Trippier after he made a mistake, scored it, and then uh, scored uh, all of their penalties, which is quite amazing, really, because uh, throughout the rest of the game, and they did dominate it, and they did deserve it, and they were worthy winners of going through to the Carabao Cup semi-final. Uh, the issue was, is that they, I mean, this is a team that can't finish an ice cream, um, and they, they created so many chances. Here's a question for you. Crook, what words have you heard more in December? Merry Christmas, or it's offside against Jackson. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was at the Sheffield United game and it was incredible the number of times that he got caught offside. I think someone needs to explain the, the rule to him, but that, that could be a big turning point for Chelsea, couldn't it? I, I got a message off uh, a Chelsea fan, a mutual friend of ours, who wasn't necessarily having Pochettino until midweek. And all of a sudden, I get the message on uh, Wednesday night, Oh, he's he's won me round now. How fickle a football <laughs> fan! But I mean, they've got a great chance. I mean, they they, they they should reach the final. It looks like it's set up for a Chelsea Liverpool final. And uh, if Pochettino can deliver silverware in his first season against the chaotic scenes at boardroom level, I think that'll be some achievement. Uh, Liverpool against Arsenal is a huge game. So is West Ham against Manchester United. We're going to preview all the weekend's action, including a game on Christmas Eve. Let's get into it. Nice little warm-up for this game in midweek for Liverpool. Take on Arsenal and Anfield at 5.30 on Saturday. They beat West Ham by five goals to one. It was a real thrashing as well. Um, Shabosnai, I thought, was particularly impressive. He'd had a couple of rugby games. It wasn't particularly good uh, after a really bright start and then obviously scored the goal that set things in motion on Wednesday. Um, but they did join an unwanted list of clubs on Sunday, Crook, that have failed to beat Manchester United. Uh, so which way does this one go? I think it's very difficult to to make a convincing case. Arsenal have got a terrible record at Anfield over the years. Liverpool were poor, I thought, last weekend when we were there to see them toil to a 0-0 draw against Manchester United. But their home form is still formidable, isn't it? One defeat in 50 in the Premier League. I guess I'm going to sit on the fence, much to Perry Groves' amusement. I could see a draw, actually. Um, I don't think Arsenal will lose, but I don't know if they'll necessarily be able to go there and win. So I'm going to go for a score draw, I think. Um, they've won 11 of their last 12 matches at Anfield, Scott, at Liverpool this season. And one of the problems that Crook and I identified in the middle of the game against, well, in fact, before the game against um, Manchester United was the midfield. We thought that Curtis Jones would come into midfield for the game against uh, Manchester United. He didn't, but he did come into the midfield on Wednesday, and I thought he was very good. Mm. Yeah, he was. He was superb, scored goals, looked lively. Um, and, and, and you know what? As we've talked about it many times, you know, fair play to Jurgen Klopp. His midfield, you know, off the field as much as on the field, is, was completely gutted out. And then, and actually, it looks like they've not been missed too much. Um, really good. I think it's a positive problem. I'll be honest with you, I, I'm with Crookie here. I, I can make an argument for both sides to win. And I can also make an argument for a draw here. 
You know, Arsenal, I think, will be fresh. I think they're off the back of a very good result and performance against Brighton. They'll be up for this game. They'll be gearing every, every day this week towards it. Liverpool would have played the game, but I think after that poor performance against United, it was um, it was just what they needed, wasn't it? Uh, where there was pretty much every box ticked, apart from my mate Darwin Nunez not scoring. Um, so I think there's a lot of confidence going into the game. And, I, and that crowd with Jurgen Klopp, he's definitely said that on purpose. Oh, what he said, you know, ahead of the Arsenal game. So, <laughs> so the Anfield will absolutely, Anfield crowd will absolutely be up for this. I think it would be like almost as a, it's a Champions League semi-final. And Liverpool very rarely lose when the crowd are like that. So I can see a high-scoring draw here. This is, this, this is amazing, isn't it? I mean, Jurgen Klopp coming out and basically turning round and saying, and these are these are quotes, this is not anybody else, that they're, they're bemoaning a bit of an atmosphere problem at uh, Anfield. Crook and I experienced that on Sunday. And, and and I think Gary Neville said it and everybody was uh, maybe of a Liverpool persuasion was sort of cocked their eye at it because it was Gary Neville and he's from Manchester. And why would, why, why would they listen to what he's got to say about their atmosphere? But Jurgen Klopp basically turning around and saying, if you are not in the right shape, give your ticket on Saturday to somebody else. That's quite a big statement, isn't it? From a Liverpool manager crook. Yeah, but Scott's right. He knows what he's doing. It was interesting to see, I think it was Trent Alexander-Arnold at one stage, uh, whipping up the Anfield crowd because it was flat. It wasn't quite what I was expecting from a Liverpool against Manchester United game. And clearly it's been discussed inside the dressing room. They're going to try and create a cauldron-like atmosphere for the visit of Arsenal. And, you know, when, when when the Liverpool fans are fully behind the team and fully engaged, it is a very intimidating place to go. Uh, it is, um, but obviously he said that because it hasn't been and he wants it like that on Saturday for Arsenal. It's the problem here actually for Liverpool is that they're, they're just not as good as Arsenal. When you look back over their, their body of work over the course of the season, away from home they've dropped points at Tottenham to lose. Uh, they lost uh, points at Luton. They lost points at Manchester City, which, which is no surprise, but Brighton as well. And even at Chelsea on the opening day of the season. I, I actually. That, that that they've been sort of papered over the cracks because that wasn't at Anfield. And we look at their Anfield form and we think Anfield's brilliant and they always react there. But truly, Arsenal don't drop as many points as that. In their other competitions, in the you know the cup competitions, the Champions League in particular, they've, they've been a lot more impressive. And realistically, they look like a more well-oiled outfit. Is that fair? I mean, you know I've backed Liverpool for the title because I think they'll come better in the mm. second half once they've been together for longer. But, but at this moment in time, are Arsenal better? Yeah, I think they are. Um, I make Arsenal favourites. I tip them up uh, at the start of the season. I probably didn't expect Manchester City to drop off quite as dramatically as they have, but I just think Arsenal will learn from last year. I think they did some really good business in the summer. Obviously, the lack of an outstanding goal scorer is maybe an issue, but I think they're spreading the goals around quite nicely. And I think they're just further ahead in their development than Liverpool. And you, and you say you expect Liverpool to come on strong in the second half of the season. Obviously, they're going to lose Mo Salah to the African Cup of Nations. And it was uh, Danny Murphy, I think, on Talk Sports saying that if Salah doesn't score, Liverpool struggled to score. So I think that's going to be a huge loss for them at the turn of the year. Unless Darwin Nunez comes good, Scott. <laughs> Absolutely. It's time to step up, isn't it? Simple as that. I mean, I said at the start of the season that, that Liverpool, whatever the money was, I think had to keep him because he was the only one, as much as they got five excellent strikers, he was the only one who can guarantee you goals. And if he's taken out the sides, then 
then there's a problem. So, look, you know, Darwin Nunez played really well against West Ham, but it's another game without scoring. He's got to get on the score sheet. I was, I was watching um, Dimitar Berbatov talk about how um, for Hoyland and, and Darwin Nunez as well, you know, just keep on practising, even if you put it into an empty net in training on a daily basis. These players are very, very good players, but they're paid to stick the ball in the back of the net. And if Salah's not around and Liverpool are to win the title, then Darwin Nunez needs to step up. Well, Liverpool certainly will be hoping to win the league, but so will Arsenal, who produced one of their best performances of the season, I think, against Brighton, just in terms of they were in complete control of that game. They may need to produce a complete performance when it comes to Saturday evening, 5.30. And that game, Liverpool against Arsenal, obviously the big one. Uh, Earlier in the day on Talk Sport, we're going to bring you West Ham United against Manchester United. Reflection, uh, first of all, on how much pressure that performance against Liverpool puts on David Moyes going into this game. Because this is the London Stadium. This is Manchester United. This is his former club. This is a team that don't travel, by the way, Manchester United very well at all. And West Ham United are always ripe for the for, for, for the revolt, aren't they, Crook? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I did uh, put out a, a message on X on uh, Wednesday night just to try and gauge the, the views of West Ham fans. And I asked the question, if they were to beat Manchester United, would that make amends for effectively throwing away their chance of reaching a cup semi-final. Almost to a woman and man, West Ham fans came back and said, no, absolutely not. It was a disgraceful team selection, disgraceful performance. So I think there is a huge amount of pressure on David Moyes coming into this game. But of course, there's a huge amount of pressure on Manchester United as well to prove that last weekend at Anfield wasn't, as we spoke about on Sunday night's pod, yet another false dawn. And I remember, I think it was you two on commentary, actually, that the, the painful listen that was West Ham against Manchester United last season when United were absolutely dreadful on that Sunday evening at London Stadium. It's a ground where they've come a cropper a couple of times in recent seasons. So this is a difficult game for Manchester United, but David Moyes may just have made it more difficult for himself with what happened in midweek. It wasn't painful for West Ham fans, Scott. (laughs) No, it wasn't. It was a a very good win. But I I think Crookie, to be fair, has has pretty much nailed it. Obviously, it's a big game for United. They come off the back of what was um, a morale-boosting draw at at Anfield. And and the tactics were right, considering who they're playing and the the state they're in. Because it it could have been, you know, Crookie was here last week saying he'd take 3-0. So it it could have been a a lot worse. Um, But there's a lot of pressure on David Moyes now. But but by that, I don't mean that he's going to get sacked this season. He won't. The owners aren't aren't sacking. It will be he's got his contract to the end of the season, but I just think, as I said earlier, there's a growing number of fans, and it's a quite a high percentage that that feel um, they're more Moyes out, and I think that's a real shame considering what he's done. But I just felt that Liverpool was the bigger game over United, and to get through to the semi final, there'd have been a great opportunity to win the cup itself if they'd have knocked Liverpool out. Um, I tell you what, it's going to be an interesting atmosphere for this game. Uh, Manchester United have failed to score in four of their last five games. Um, How do they solve that at the London Stadium, Crook? Well, they're going to have to be a bit more ambitious than they were uh, against Liverpool. But obviously, it's uh, a a very different opponent. You would imagine they can play a little bit more on the front foot. Does Marcus Rashford come back into the team? I suggest probably not. I think uh, Eric Ten Hag will stick with that front three. Uh, that he used at Anfield. Obviously, Bruno Fernandes comes back in. And that's that's going to be an interesting selection conundrum because, you know, Sam, I was actually lyrical about young 
Kobe Mainu at Anfield. I think he has to start. I'd imagine maybe Amrabat might make way and McTominay will drop to a more defensive midfield role. But maybe in some ways it's a nice problem for Eric Ten Hag to have. But they do need to start scoring. And if anybody needs a goal, it's not Darwin Nunez, it's not Nicholas Jackson. It's, of course, Rasmus Hoyland, 14 games without scoring in the Premier League. And he missed the best chance of the game last weekend. He did, and it's only two goals in his last 13 appearances in all competitions as well. Marcus Rashford's only got two Premier League goals uh, this campaign. Anthony Martial's only got one, no goals so far for Anthony. So goals few and far uh, between for them, but not for Mohamed Kudus and for Jared Bowen, who, who seemingly look like really dangerous offensive weapons at this moment in time, Scott. And obviously after testing Liverpool, Jared Bowen will fancy his chances against this Manchester United group as well. Do you know what? I don't see him as a centre forward, even though he he quite likes playing there. But he is doing a fantastic job um, in that position. He really is, and you can you can throw in not just Bowen, Kudos, but Lucas Pakatar, who I was at the London Stadium last week, and he just absolutely ran the show against Wolves. And that's why I think West Ham fans are so disappointed. Uh, with the team selection at Anfield, is that they're playing really well at the moment. And after the Freiburg game, where it was a really attacking side and a great performance, then the Wolves game, where it's attacking side and a great performance, you know, to to pick that kind of team, just go for it. And the West Ham fans would have would have settled for two defeats in a week if if Moise had had a sort of gone for it with team selection. Um, but absolutely, he will put his best eleven out here, and if they can reproduce the performance against Wolves, then I tell you what, United will struggle to get anything out of it because I thought they were superb. And and I'll also throw in Emerson, who I think was a big miss at Anfield, but is really becoming down that left-hand side for West Ham, an attacking force. West Ham at home with a full 11, if they're really attacking, are a very, very good side. And United, Manchester United, I think would do well to pick up a point here if West Ham play well. And um, what about Raphael Varane um, doing his little bit to, um, you know, uh, I, I suppose encourage and and put into perspective what uh, professional footballers go through. Uh, he wrote a bit of an essay on LinkedIn. I don't know if you saw this. I know, Crook, this is, I know, a medium that you, you, you get involved in quite a lot, LinkedIn. Uh, the journey to the top is something that requires a significant amount of strength. There are many factors that go into becoming a professional player and even more to have a successful career. In Europe, less than 1% of the players who begin in academies as children will make it to a professional level. All true. Uh, The numbers are even smaller when you narrow it down to the amount that play for their countries. And in the Champions League, according to FIFA, there are an estimated 130,000 professional players worldwide with 211 FIFA-registered national teams. Based on this, approximately 5,275% of players play for their country with 32 Champions League teams registered approximately 800 play in the Champions League both numbers based on a 25 player squad per team as someone who has played at both levels I feel extremely lucky to have done so I also know what's required to get here um and he goes on about you know how important it is to keep control of your emotions and mentality and correct. Well, what is he getting at, what, and why has he done it? What, I mean, is he is he advertising to co-present the high performance podcast with Jake Humphrey? I don't know. Well, I nearly fell asleep as you were reading that. To be honest, I mean, it's, it's strange that there's it someone actually of his sounded status... like he'd fallen asleep halfway through it. To be honest with you, it's strange that someone of his status and who's won what he has in the game feels the need to sort of sell himself on 
on social media. But listen, we broke the story a few weeks ago. There's a problem between him and Eric Ten Hag. It came to a head during that Manchester derby when, of course, he was left on the bench and, and Johnny Evans was selected. Looks like they've they've patched up some of those differences. The fact he started the game at Anfield and probably was United's man of the match, ironically, alongside Johnny Evans. But there's also this contract issue, isn't there? When, when he was signed, Manchester United gave the impression that he was contracted until 2025. That isn't actually the case. His contract runs out next summer with the option of an extra year. Um, so that is one to keep an eye on. There's talk in Germany that maybe uh, Bayern Munich could be interested because they've got a bit of an injury crisis. I think Ten Hag, despite their differences, would be reluctant to let Varane go because they're short of cover uh, in that centre-back area, Manchester United. And I think he's a better player than Victor Lindelof. I think he's probably, you know, when fully fit, he's clearly a better option at centre-back than Luke Shaw. So unless they can sign a replacement, I don't see that Varane will be allowed to go in January. But he's clearly touting himself on the open market there. Um, and uh, he's been linked with Real Madrid, a return to Real Madrid, because they've got an injury crisis. Um, that was certainly something that came up over the course of the last 24 hours as well. OK, let's look at some of Saturday's other games now, starting with a familiar face at the City Ground this weekend. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Just pleased for everybody connected for the football club. I know you get an opportunity to do it in the Premier League and them things are important to me and the supporters and so many people who love this football club, you know. I don't think he's the Messiah, but for Forrest he will be because he's got them into the Premier League and if he keeps them there, then they will, you know, they'll put a statue outside the city ground alongside Clough. Victory here for Nottingham Forest means they are safe. They've avoided relegation. Nottingham Forest stuck with Steve Cooper. Obviously, he's learning on the job. It's his first time in the Premier League. He's got a big job on his hands now, Steve Cooper. There aren't too many managers here who lose three home games in a row and continue to survive. I just want the guy to do well so much. I think a lot of Forest fans do. I don't know what pressure I'm under. And I don't think about it because the moment I start thinking about it, I think it's counterproductive. Nuno Espirito Santo is the new head coach of Nottingham Forest, replacing Steve Cooper on a two-and-a-half-year deal. No, I mean, this is this has been in the offing for, for ages. And I spoke to Steve briefly over the last 24 hours. 
I mean, my take on it is pretty clear. Scott, you've worked with, uh, well, you worked in the the EFL prior to uh, uh, Steve coming into the Premier League with uh, Nottingham Forest. They hadn't been in the Premier League for 23 years until he came along. And when he did come along, they were bottom of the championship. And within sort of 12 months, they turned he turned them around into a Premier League club. He got them to survive last year. They're five points clear of the relegation zone. He's had players galore foisted upon him. And every time that he's turned one corner, someone's suggesting that he's going to get the sack. And over the course of the last seven or eight months, it's just been constant noise about his position. It's incredibly hard to work in those circumstances. And actually, in a sense, I think he's probably been put out of his misery, really, and he'll get the opportunity to go somewhere else and and, and, and do a good job. Because this is a good coach who had done a brilliant uh, job at Nottingham Forest and probably, okay, maybe it was just time for them both to to part ways. But I don't think the constant noise over the last year has helped him be able to do uh, his job consistently well. So do we blame Crookie for this now then? Because he was constant noise uh, about this. No, yeah, Crookie yeah. was doing his job as a, as a top reporter. And as he was saying it, to be fair, I'm thinking, really? Really? Are they really thinking? But he, he was absolutely right. So fair play to him for, for saying this was the case because it's now happened. Um, look, I, I think, as you said, what he did was nothing short of sensational. And not many managers in the country, in the world, could have done had that season in the Championship. And you can also throw in, what is it, about 98 players signed in, in, in 18 months that he's had to deal with. And that's not an easy thing to do when you've got a squad so big and results aren't going well. You're always tempted to say, OK, well, I've got someone on the, line, on the sidelines. Let's put him in. When actually the best thing to do is just try and keep a consistent team. But I think it's almost because three games coming up, one win in 13, you can't sort of sack someone during that three games in a week. And I think there's every chance they could have got a result out of Bournemouth, but Newcastle and Manchester United would be very difficult. So they wanted to make it now. Listen, I I totally agree with you. I think in a month, two, three, four months time, he'll be in a job. And he'd be saying, do you know what? I'm really happy I am where I am. So I wish him all the very best. And I know that Forest fans probably hold him just below Brian Clough in terms of uh, where they are in in his hearts, in their hearts. Where, where do you think that they'll hold Nuno Espirito Santo by the end of the season, Crook? Well, football's a fickle game. And uh, obviously a lot of Forest fans are very upset at the departure of Steve Cooper. They showed such devotion to that particular manager, even in the face of a, a thrashing at Fulham a couple of weeks ago. So I think it's a difficult one for Nuno. I think he has to hit the ground running. If he does so, they'll come round to the decision, but I don't think they'll ever fall out of love with Steve Cooper. It wouldn't surprise me if they're still singing Steve Cooper's name, certainly on Saturday and, and probably well towards the back end of the season. But I, I can see both sides of the story. I think Steve Cooper did a wonderful job at Nottingham Forest, but I'm not convinced he was the right fit long-term because he... I think as a project manager, it's very difficult to make Forest a project club all the time that Maranakis is signing 14 players every summer transfer window. So maybe Nuno is a better fit on that front. But as I say, certainly Forest fans are mourning the departure of Steve Cooper and he is going to walk into a decent job somewhere. Wouldn't surprise me if it was Crystal Palace. Keep an eye on West Ham as well, based on what we've been saying about David Moyes and his long-term job prospects. But if you're being brutal, and football is a brutal industry. It is one win in 13 for Forest. They've scored one goal in their last four games. Not many Premier League managers survive statistics like that, no matter how much credit they've got with the supporters. And Maranakis would argue that he's shown more patience in Steve Cooper 
than he has in any other manager that he's employed, both here in England and at Olympiacos as well. That's not particularly impressive, though, is it? Let's be honest, because he hasn't shown any patience at all. He once sacked a manager at Olympiacos after about six weeks. Um, so it's not as if he is... He's got a long tether. Um, let's just ask the question about Nuno Espirito Santo. Is he the right person to take this job? It seems weird to me, Scott, that you would go from a manager who has got a certain way of playing football, which is attractive, um, who has got a connection with the supporters, who has got a list of achievements with that football club that makes him part of the club's folklore. He, he led them back into the Premier League. To go to someone and who's engaging with the fans. Let's let's remember this as well. You know, constantly engaging mm. with the fans, constantly engaging with the, the supporters. To someone who absolutely hates doing any sort of interview whatsoever and will avoid it at all costs if possible. Is very sort of quiet, downbeat, and keeps out of the limelight. Doesn't have any connection with Nottingham Forest. Doesn't have a, a track record in recent times that anyone would shout about too much and has just been sat by the Saudi league I, I, and whose football has been, I don't know, described as less than thrilling. I, you know, maybe I'm wrong here and he's going to be a roaring success, but it seems like a diametrically opposite appointment to what you've already got. And I'm not sure that that is the right recipe. Yeah. But apart from all that, Sam, <laughs> I know what you mean, and you make it. You make a good case. I, 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 I don't get it. As I say, with with the Steve Cooper thing, maybe it had run its course. Very difficult to try and turn things around. And, and Crookie's right, one win in thirteen. But to bring in someone like Nuno, look, I, I covered the EFL when he came into Wolves, and he absolutely smashed that division. And then they finished seventh and seventh. So, you know, you've got the other side to that as well. Maybe it's not the most attractive of football, but he's, it's winning football. And Forrest are only five points above the relegation zone and Luton have a game in hand. You know, so they do need to be very, very careful. And you just talk about Marinakis as well. You know, I think just Premier League and football generally, managers don't stay, very rarely stay four, five, six years in the job. Sometimes it's just a, a two-year gig. So, you know, if he does that and he gets Forrest into the, the top half, then maybe he will last longer. If he doesn't, he'll, 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 he, may, he probably won't. But I'm pretty sure with Nuno in charge of Forrest that they will stay up. But I do agree with Crookie. If things go pear-shaped in the first three games, let's just say they, they lose those three games in a week, suddenly the, the atmosphere at the city ground is going to be toxic. Absolutely. You know, if they lose to Bournemouth, who, by the way, have managed to pick up quite a few points recently, 13 points from the last five games. That's pretty impressive, by the way. They're on a run. If they lose to Bournemouth, mm. they lose to Newcastle. And they, who's their next game? It's a really tough game, isn't it? Isn't it um, United? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Um, then there's, <laughs> yeah, there could be real problems there. Um, let's go down to uh, Kenilworth Road, Luton against uh, Newcastle United. Emotions are going to be high after that on-field emergency involving Tom Lockyer. Um, how will that incident like this affect the Luton players? I suppose that's the big question. We know now that the Premier League board are going to replay that game in four uh, down at Bournemouth at a later date. Um, yes, what does this do to Luton? Well, if you're talking in pure football terms, obviously losing their captain and losing a mainstay at the heart of their defence is an issue, probably one they're going to have to address in the January transfer market. In terms of how it will affect their players and the coaching staff and the supporters, it's been a very difficult week following that harrowing 
incident at the Vitality. But I think they'll come together. You know, it, it might make them, it will make them more determined to try and stay in the Premier League in tribute to Tom Lockyer. Luton is very much that sort of football club. Anyway, Rob Edwards has done a, a brilliant job uniting the fan base and, and the players and the town in general. So I, I, I don't think, I don't think there'll be any after effects from what they witnessed on the pitch. But as I say, in footballing terms, Lockie is a huge loss. And this is a difficult game because Newcastle are going to want to bounce back from their defeat at Chelsea in midweek when they were minutes away from uh, another League Cup semi-final. But it's a sticky patch, isn't it, for Newcastle? Crashed out the Champions League. They're off the pace in terms of the top four, which I'm sure the owners would have been targeting after the success of last season. Actually, I remember we spoke to Eddie Howe Sam, in the summer when we were covering for Jim and Simon, and one of the questions we asked him was, could expectation be your own worst enemy here? Because he has raised expectations at St. James's Park with what he achieved last season. And at the moment, it's looking difficult for Newcastle to, to emulate those achievements. Yeah, difficult because the squad is so thin. And actually, we might talk about Newcastle in a minute when we talk about uh, the UEFA ruling. Uh, but Newcastle's probably outsiders for Champions League football now. That fifth place that was everyone was talking about and assuming that was definitely going to happen. And I did say to you, just be careful because there's a lot of clubs that are involved in European football this year that haven't been involved in it before. And Newcastle are one of those. You know, you may well lose ground. It's only the top two teams that perform, the top two teams, the top two countries that perform in European competition that get those extra places to whatever um, extent that is. And at the moment, those two countries do not include England. Um, it's tight and it will continue to be tight depending on the progression in all of the competitions, not just the Champions League. But we have two teams out of the Champions League and out of Europe at this moment in time. And there are other countries that are ahead of us in terms of uh, the way that they are performing. Uh, Trippier making a couple of mistakes recently. Um, he was at fault for that Mudrick late equaliser. He made Everton errors and Spurs errors as well. Um, once you get sort of that in your head, does that become a, a problem for you, Scott? You, I'm not saying that you've ever made errors like that or whatever, but as a player, Never. once you make one error or two errors, do you start to think, "Oh my God, I've got, I've, I've got, I'm in bad form here"? How does it affect you? I was on the breakfast show the other day with Ali and Andy, and and they asked a similar question, and I said, "Well, I, I held the record for the quickest own goal in the Champions League for a good few years." So. Um, no, do you know what? It, it's it's more than just one of those days. But, it's, but I can't think of a person who's probably mentally stronger than Kieran Trippier. And he's just going through a bad period at the moment. He has made mistakes in several games now. But for what he's done for club and country, you know, and also playing left back, right back, it doesn't matter which sort of side. He, you know you're going to get, well, up until recently, a very good uh, positive performance out of him. I, I, I honestly, I think he just got to play himself through it. He'll be hating it. He would have struggled to have slept that night at Stamford Bridge because obviously he missed the penalty and I obviously wanted Chelsea to go through, but I was hoping that he would score. Um, but he's a top pro. He's strong mentally. He's been abroad. He's played in World Cups. I, I have no worries for him at all that it will turn it around. Maybe some other players, but not Kieran Trippier. Um, Tottenham against Everton is another huge game and Everton looking to make it five Premier League wins in a row. But also they've won five of the last six away from home. So they are very good on the road. Currently third in the form table. Tottenham have steadied the ship in recent weeks as well. They've managed to pick up uh, wins over Newcastle and Nottingham Forest. But this could be a real ding dong of a game because it's a complete clash of styles, isn't it, Crook? 
Yeah, I'm here for Talk Sport. Actually, uh, match game day live is coming from the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Adrian and, and Darren Ambrose alongside me, and I think it's a really intriguing fixture, as you say. Um, Everton on a brilliant run of form, but a setback for them in midweek. They'd have expected to win that quarter final against Fulham. I thought they would as well, and it would have been a real feather in Sean Dyche's cap if he was to take them into a semi final. Didn't happen, so they're going to need to recover. But I think Tottenham have played their way back into form as well. We were there uh, to see them absolutely destroy Newcastle. They backed that up uh, with a win and a very rare clean sheet against Nottingham Forest. So I, th- I think Spurs will have too much for Everton, but it will be interesting to see if uh, Postacoglu in any way changes his style to try and compensate for what Everton will do. Uh, my, my guess is that he probably won't because, of course, he sticks to his principles. This is what we do, mate. Um, Richarlison <laughs> continuing his uh, goal scoring from last time out. Um, he's in good, good, good scoring form. Um, how important is it that they keep him in the right mental place, Scott? Because that seems to have mm. been his issue. Yeah, absolutely. It's key, isn't it? You know, to we talked about Varane, what he came out with. Tyrone Mings has come out with something on social media as well that, you know, being injured, that the, the mental side of things is so important that people don't really, or they just take for granted that the players are paid a lot of money, so they should be able to deal with it. But Players put themselves under a lot of pressure on a, on a daily basis and can surround themselves with a few wrong ones and they need to be very careful in that. So I'm really pleased, as I said last week, that Richarlison has done well. He's continuing that form. And in terms for 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 Tottenham, I think Son is, I said again, I said last week, is better on the left-hand side. So if Richarlison can score goals, and when Madison comes back as well, you know, absolutely Spurs are one of the teams going for that top four. And... Um, I just like the way they're playing at the moment. So it's it's, it's key. And I'm really pleased that he's back scoring goals. It's nice to see a centre forward actually sticking the ball in the back of the net. Uh, Fulham Burnley is Saturday 3pm as well. Wolves-Chelsea is Sunday. Uh, Christmas Eve, we'll cover that on the Sunday session on TalkSport. Uh, Wolves flash 3-0 on Sunday against West Ham United. They'll be looking to bounce back in front of their own fans. And Chelsea, who have won only two of the last six Premier League games, We'll look to capitalise on what was a good performance, I thought, in midweek against Newcastle. They just don't seem to have the ability to finish. Maybe Christopher Nkunku, now he is back uh, from injury, will be able to change all that. Uh, but um, they, I thought they played quite well. And Conor Gallagher, I thought, again, you know, having to really push and probe and, and work hard at the top of the formation, then had to shift position once again because of an injury to Enzo Fernandez. I thought, you know, they did very, very well, apart from the fact, again, they just don't score the chances that they create, and they had so many. Uh, maybe they'll uh, be a little bit more ruthless against Wolves, or maybe they won't because it's been an up-and-down season uh, for them. When you said that footballers have the propensity to surround themselves with wrongen, were you talking uh, from experience there, Scott? Were you talking about me and <laughs> Brooke by any chance? Or one well, of your ex-teammates? I'll, I'll just leave it one of the two. I'll leave it there. <laughs> Hold on, Frank Sinclair's calling, uh, or is it his lawyer? Uh, right, OK. <laughs> I can't believe uh, you've mentioned Frank. <laughs> Let's move on because there's a big story brewing. wanted money in football you want these players this is what you get when you open this door the premier league condemns any proposal that attacks the principles of open competition and sporting merit which are at the heart of the domestic 
and European football period. Football has to stay united. That is the most important thing and based on sporting merit. These teams have been selected. I don't know the reason why. It's absolutely massive news here on TalkSport. We understand all of the clubs are meeting right now with a view to disbanding the European Super League. And I want a big thank you to TalkSport and the media for giving us, the fans, a voice we won. UEFA's monopoly is over. That is the headline as the A22 chief executive, Bernd Reichardt, uh, speaks out about a result of a case in the European Court of Justice. Why should you care? Well, Alex Crook is here to tell you all about it because this is absolutely huge and has the potential to change the footballing landscape. One paper this morning when I woke up said bigger than Bosman, and it could be. Absolutely. Uh, a seismic day, I think, in terms of the future of European football. As you've already articulated, there was a hearing um, at the European Court of Justice in Luxembourg, basically to decide whether UEFA and FIFA between them had acted against EU law by sanctioning clubs who tried to form that European Super League back in 2021, and they've decided in favour of the clubs. This is a case primarily led by Barcelona and Real Madrid and the A22 group who are trying to reform the Super League, albeit in a different guise. They want a multi-league system with promotion and relegation because, of course, one of the big criticisms of the original Super League was the lack of sporting meritocracy, the lack of promotion and relegation. Uh, but the fact that... Uh, this ruling has been reached, it basically goes against uh, UEFA and, and the fact that they had a monopoly on European football and it gives any clubs with the desire to do so the opportunity to reform the Super League. I think what's fascinating here is the reaction from the Premier League. At the time of recording, we don't have a statement from them or from the FA. We are expecting them. Uh, UEFA, I know, are planning a, a statement in response to the ruling as well. So follow the TalkSport website and TalkSport on air for what they have to say. But what do the Premier League clubs, those six clubs who were involved initially, what do they want to do now? Do they have the appetite to get involved again in, in the Super League? Or will they realise actually that it's not what their supporters want? Maybe this new television deal is going to be more financially beneficial to them and they'll take a back seat. I guess we'll only find out in the fullness of time. Uh, there's also a press conference at 11 o'clock GMT on Thursday, uh, which you may well have seen by now. Uh, involving uh, A22, which is the group behind the European Super League, in which they're going to talk about uh, their plans going forward. Um, look, I mean, the, the the key thing is, is this isn't just about the European Super League, okay? A bit like the John Mark Bosman ruling wasn't just about John Mark Bosman. What it did was it opened a gate. It opened a gate to free movement of players when their contracts ended. And that has become a staple diet of the way we manage football now uh, across the world. And I think this is a gateway ruling. And what it does is it doesn't necessarily mean that this European Super League is going to be constructed now and that everyone's going to take part and whatever, football's going to fall apart. I think what it does is, is it says that things are going to change in a big way. How that looks going forward, I don't know. But I think it means that football is going to change in a big way. I thought it was interesting uh, that the immediate response, and obviously they planned this and they knew that this was going to happen. So they're on a PR offensive already. But that European Super League group have already tweeted out saying UEFA's monopoly is over, football is free, clubs are now free from the threat of sanctions and free to determine their own future. 
And for fans, and I think this is the key thing, for fans, we offer free broadcasting of all Super League matches. So what they are suggesting now, this is their carrot now that they're going to use in order to persuade you that it's okay for your club to join the Super League, that you will be able to see all of your club's games for free. They're going to give them to you. That is their carrot. The big question there, of course, is that, okay, going forward, what does that mean in terms of uh, how they're going to make any money? Irrelevant at this moment in time. It's a PR thing at this uh, right now. They're trying to get you on side. So I don't know what's going to happen next, but I think there is going to be a huge change because... You know, if you're Newcastle, for example, Scott, you know, we spoke about this off air. If you're Newcastle and you're being told, hold on a second, at this moment in time, you're not allowed to compete properly with Manchester City and with Liverpool. You know you've got all the money in the world, but you can't spend it because of FFP. I'm not saying suggesting that they will be thinking this, but maybe they'll be thinking, hmm, hold on a second. Well, we might well go and play against Real Madrid and Barcelona every week and spend as much money as we like and become a European super club ourselves. Or what they might do, Scott, is use it as leverage to reduce the FFP constrictions in the Premier League and in UEFA. Either way, things are going to change. And that would be the the wise thing to do. You know, you and Crookie have both said, I've heard at different times, use the word, the phrase Wild West. I mean, we have no idea where this could go if there's not some kind of regulation to it. We know that Serie A and La Liga have been jealous of the, the riches of the Premier League for, for many years. When I was working on Spanish football, Javier Tevez, who was head of the league, was was trying to see the model that the Premier League did. That was over a decade ago. So clearly, you know, the Premier League, I just think the clubs and the key thing here are the owners of the clubs, of the big clubs, because they're not your kind of Jack Walkers anymore. They are a lot of Americans and Middle East and if they understand what the fabric of English football is all about and the fact that English football can still stand on its own two feet if they don't join in and that the, the other clubs around Europe need the Premier League clubs to join in. Look, we have, for me, the best top tier, the best second tier, the best third tier, fourth and fifth. And you can go even further in world football. I hope that doesn't change. I just don't trust the owners of the clubs to, to have that faith in, in English football and realise what it's all about. And that's where maybe, I don't know, I, I don't know about the independent regulator and what they can do. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens going forward. I hate this. I hate this because I think you've got uh, a situation where we've had a golden period of Premier League and English football, right? Okay, and I feel now that some way, somehow, it, someone's trying to dismantle it because they want the product for themselves, because they want to be part of the product. I understand all of that. There is a bit of jealousy or whatever. But I do believe that the ultimate goal here is to pull apart the Premier League because it's too powerful. That's what, yeah. the, that, that's what the other clubs around Europe want. And I, you know, maybe, that, maybe over time, that is a good thing and it's egalitarian. There's more money that goes down to all of the clubs. And maybe it changes the way that we run football in this country and the distributions of funds from the Premier League is, gets better into lower reach. Of I don't know. But what I do know is that someone needs to be in control of it and it isn't necessarily Barcelona and Real Madrid. Sorry, but I don't no. think it is. Um, Crook, there's been some sort of uh, mutterings from the Premier League and one of the key things is this charter that they signed. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned the independent regulator. Of course, part of... Uh, 
that the new regulations are that Premier League clubs are prohibited from signing up to rebel competitions, but that doesn't mean they can't quit the Premier League if they believe the Super League is going to better serve their purposes. I'm, I'm not sure we're in that situation yet. I think you're right. I think what these clubs are trying to do is almost create a divide between the Premier League and the rest of the major European leagues because they are envious of the success that the Premier League has enjoyed over the last couple of decades. I, I guess you can agree that UEFA shouldn't have a monopoly and still be against the idea of a European Super League. And I think that's probably where I sit at this moment in time. But as, as you've said repeatedly, somebody ultimately needs to be in charge. Otherwise, it is just a Wild West scenario. So this is this is a really intriguing situation. And it is going to be very interesting to see how it pans out. I have reached out to several of the big, big six clubs to get their views on the potential to reform the Super League. Surprise, surprise, at this moment in time, none of them have responded. Yeah, and it's not just about the Super League. I'll reiterate, this is not just about the reformation of the Super League because I don't think politically that the clubs could do that, especially at this moment in time. But I do think what happens next, the structure of European football, the way that money is distributed, all of that will change. And also there'll be little competitions that spring up. You know, it, you know, what does this do to FIFA's Club World Cup? Chelsea, Manchester City go, nah, we don't really fancy that. But we'll have our own one with Barcelona and Manchester and uh, Real Madrid in Japan next year. Do you know what I mean? You know, they might start their yeah. own one. You never know. And that's the thing. You know, they might... All of these possibilities are live where they weren't before because, you know, things had to be sanctioned. Uh, Aston Villa, Sheffield United kicks off 8 o'clock Friday, 22nd of December. Uh, Saturday, West Ham against Manchester United. I'll be at that, that game as well. Both those live on Talk Sport. We're around the grounds with Adrian uh, from Tottenham. And I'm uh, here on Sunday uh, doing the Sunday session as we uh, bring you Wolves at Chelsea and all the other fallout from the weekend with Mickey Gray. Looking forward to that. The next pod, actually, because it's Christmas, is not coming out until next Friday. Um, but so we look forward to that and if I'm not mistaken it's not only going to be on YouTube but Martin Keogh joining Brooke and I which we are very excited about Uh, so we'll do that next Friday uh, on uh, the TalkSport YouTube channel and wherever you get your podcast. thank you very much for listening The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.